You do not listen to your own podcast, man. Screen's going dark. (laughs) Hey, podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial pursuit, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs all around the globe seeking to do the same thing you are. If you want to know more about this program or this podcast or want to get barraged by a lot of annoying pop-ups, check out our website, lifestylebusinesspodcast.com. Hey, everybody. Happy Thursday morning. It's the LBP. This is the show where we believe building the business is the best way to create more personal freedom and opportunity in your life. Today, I'm joined as is per the usual across the Skype a man who puts the green light into that fine application. Welcome to the program, sir. If you guys stick around to the end of the show, we'll share with you the story behind our first major business sale. We did have one minor one, I guess, a couple years ago, but this is the first major business in our portfolio that we've sold. And we're going to share with you guys what we learned about it uh, from the process and what we would have done differently uh, the next time, or what we'll do differently, rather, the next time we sell a business. So how are you today, Ian? Yes, doing good, Dan. What about you? Fantastic, man. I'm in uh, New York City. Going to meet up with a bunch of DCers tomorrow, so uh, looking forward to that. Uh, Working on the big event coming up in October. So that's sort of been hot on my to-do list lately. But uh, Are we um, going to get bracelets? Are we going to get silicone bracelets? Your contributions are always uh, (laughs) on the (laughs) sidelines, so to speak. You know, this week, Ian, I had the chance to go out and see Mitch, Joel, and Seth Godin speak. Um, Mitch Joel is uh, the perpetrator of one of my favorite podcasts, Six Pixels of Separation. And I follow his blog religiously. And he put out this note, hey, if you're in New York City, you can sort of apply to win a contest. I won the contest. I got a ticket, went to Google, and uh, I met the godfather in Mitch Joel. So it was a, a pretty cool experience. But I think, you know, one of the takeaways and one of the things that these guys are really on about um, is just how fast things are changing nowadays. You know, it used to be that, you know, you would have a career for 30 years in a 401k and you could count on that. And the next phase was, and I know you see this, Ian, when you put out a job ad, the people that are applying to the job have like six or seven jobs in a, in a, like a five-year period. Um, yeah. and, and, and these aren't bad job candidates. It's just not what we grew up thinking was the way your resume is supposed to look. Like these are people that don't care about your crappy cubicle. They care about doing something in the world. And if you're not going to give that to them, they're going to move on to the next job. And I think as business owners, that's a huge challenge for us to figure out ways that we can be meaningful to these, these change makers, these people that are going to make a big difference in your operation. Speaking of what you've been doing, some uh, human resources in San Diego, what are you up to? Uh, yeah, we're going through a series of um, a series of hires, you know, uh, in our San Diego office. But I, I think one of the things, Dan, that uh, we need to implement here coming up soon is an employee handbook. You pointed out the valve ham to us last week, and that yeah. was really helpful. Yeah, I think I'll link up to that, and uh, that's something I think we should thread back onto in the show because I think that, that we have a lot of upside potential. To you know, I think culture is just absolutely critical. It's a way to scale. Um, the attitudes that maybe made the initial group of really dedicated employees cr- have success. I mean, you want to take those lessons and make them accessible. Hey, Ian, Mark sent us a picture. Mark continues to journey, sojourn around the world, uh, taking pictures of him, listening to the LBP. And Dave Fowler sent us a picture uh, with his motivational, one of those very motivational DC bracelets on. 
you know, it was great to meet David at DCBER. I tell you what, every time I meet one of these young young kids, Ian, I'm so jealous of of what their existence looks like in their early 20s versus what mine looks like. You know, we were talking about looking through those phone books of colleges, like wondering what we're gonna do. And these kids, man, they just got it all. I was just, I was essentially drooling on myself at 21. I mean, <laughs> I just couldn't pull it together. Hey, Ian, Becca gives us a five-star review on iTunes. Thanks for being an awesome support group for us lonely entrepreneurs out there. A big sigh of relief to hear from others in the trenches. It's true. We are in the trenches. What do you say we get moving on to the meat and potatoes? This week, it's 161. We sold a business, and here's what we learned. So here are a couple of the reasons we want to talk about this. I mean... Ian, do you remember the story of how we started this particular business? So just to get out of the way, unfortunately, we can't say the exact URL of the business. It's an industrial niche, business-to-business product. So way back in the day, you were making client phone calls for another one of our businesses. Well, what we were trying to do was uh, there was a series of websites out there. There's a bunch of these websites in this niche, and we wanted to sell some of our products into those websites. Um, And we ended up doing that eventually. So we sold into them. uh, We developed a relationship with them, and then we started to learn more about their business and, um, you know, how it worked. And uh, come to find out that they were doing pretty good money uh, selling these niche industrial products. And you were like, man, there's a huge opportunity for us to improve on what they're doing. You know, why are we selling through them? We should be selling direct right. our own stuff. Right. And and I remember then you were like, dude, put up a website. It's just a matter of putting up a website. I was like, yeah, 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 you know, I'll get around. <laughs> and then like two months later, you're like, dude, put up a website. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. part of the strength of our relationship, actually, is that at the time I couldn't put up a website. So like I, I, I really actually had to rely on you to put up a website. <laughs> I'm sorry for that, man. Um, I, I think, but this story, to me, it shows the value of going after these opportunities. And it's also sort of just illumination of, you know, having a strong portfolio of assets. And, you know, what we started to see with this particular property is that, first off, they're drop shipping. It's a drop shipping niche, which isn't really our strength. It's not what we're doing nowadays. You look at someone like Andrew Udarian, and he's absolutely crushing it with drop shipping. And he actually has a whole different set of, of strategies and a whole different approach to that business, and that's not one that we really developed and, and had success with. So we started to see this asset as more of a liability, because you know when someone calls our phone number and one of our employees picks up the phone, you know they're focusing attention on a business that has less upside potential. So that became uh, the impetus for us to sort of move this business. And plus, I'm interested in general. I mean, this is the big win, right? When you can develop these assets and you can uh, turn them over. Uh, and then move on to things that may, might may, maybe interest you more or bigger opportunities. Yeah, a couple of things on that point, Dan. I think uh, you know that came up a lot, of, a lot, and we're going to talk more about the sales process. But that came up time and time again. It's like, well, why are you guys selling this? Is this a dying asset? You know, this thing generates a uh, hundred thousand dollars a year, and you want to sell it? And the answer is uh, yes. And I don't think uh, you know a lot of people that were looking at the business understood it. But you know, there's an opportunity cost involved in this. This site makes a hundred thousand dollars a year, but we have sites that make ten times that much. And those are the sites that we need to focus on. And that's why we have to unload this site. Uh, Going back, Dan, um, to the reason why we started this site, uh, we thought that this could be somewhere between a 500 and a million dollar a year site. And I still think it can be, but we weren't willing to dedicate the resources to get it there. You know, Ian and I are going to talk about the seven things that we learned. And in there, you'll see some of the mistakes that we made through this process. But um, if you if you want more like the the overall view, there's this great book called Built to Sell, 
Uh, and that book really focuses on making your businesses teachable, valuable, and repeatable. A lot of things like that are in the work the system and the e-myth and these kinds of things. But I think for this episode, we're going to focus on like our specific experience, but definitely check out Built to Sell as a general thing. And I also want to give a hat tip to Dan Taylor, who gave an excellent speech about selling businesses at DCBER. And also, of course, to Joe and Justin at TheEmpireFlippers.com for being our business brokers on the sale and offering their audience and trusting our business uh, to be put up on their site. Yeah, and we'll talk so. a little bit more about what it means to be a business broker. And uh, definitely Dan Taylor. I paid a lot of attention to his speech because I knew that we were going to go through this and I used a lot of his tactics. And I don't know if uh, he's published those anywhere, but uh, you'll definitely see it here in our list today. All right, point number one thing that we learned is when you are building a business, talk to the people who are capable of buying it from day one. You know, especially as bootstrapping entrepreneurs, we talk a lot about like the downstream customers, so to speak. So like the consumers, the clients, the distributors. But now when you sort of look at it from this higher level perspective, there's all these upstream customers as well. There's people who might buy licenses or they might partner with you or they might acquire you. They might merge with you or just outright take over your business. Um, these are the customers that I think we have traditionally been very bad at talking with and looking to. Yeah, I think, um, Dan, this is becoming uh, more clear to us is uh, when we start a new business, we should have an exit plan, right? And we had no exit plan with this site. From day one, you should be talking to the people that can potentially buy this site from you. Um, or you should be talking um, to customers that can eventually be in a position to buy the site from you. And here's the thing, those the people who are most likely to be those customers are the people who understand the most about your business. So that's why it's very often the case that a close competitor will be your purchaser. Right. But there's a way that you can create a lot of that by telling the narrative of your business as you go along. So, you know, Part of, of our ability to sell the site was the fact that we share a lot about this business uh, in a more general sense on the LBP, but we shared specifics in the DC. And I think that that, you know, people get a level of comfort and understanding, and that makes them visualize themselves in the space. Whereas it's, of course, very easy for your competitors to understand, um, you know, where, where you are relative to them and how you could benefit them. We were in a position where we didn't have any competitors that were capable of buying the business. Um, so we needed to generate that ourselves by telling the narrative uh, of the of the site. And of course, the Empire Flippers helped us do that as well. Yeah, I'd say actually, Dan, if it wasn't for the podcast and it wasn't for the Empire Flippers, which is actually how we met them through the LBP, we would have had a much harder time selling this site. All right, number two, don't think that an offer means anything about the past or future value of your businesses. So this is a really fascinating point that Dan Taylor like really really put on the table at BR, and I thought it was so fascinating. He basically said, look, like when someone makes an offer on your business, that's more about them at that moment in time than it is about what your business is worth more generally to the marketplace. It's such a fragmented marketplace, right? You just, it's a one-time singularity. It's a one-time thing. And it can also be an emotional thing. It can be an emotional thing for the buyer and the seller. You know, as a seller, we think, well, it's, you know, it's worth this. So this is what we want. I put a lot of blood, sweat, and tears into it. And the buyer might have a much different opinion about that. But, you know, in terms of, in terms of timing, I think, you know, you find a buyer and that buyer is at a certain apex and don't expect, essentially what Dan was saying was like, don't expect that apex to line up with your apex um, any other time in the universe because uh, it's a very timely decision that the buyer is making. 
Yeah. So if someone says, Hey, I'll pay you 40 K for your business tomorrow. It's not very likely that that offer is going to be still standing six months from now. So think of it that way. I look at it like uh, buying cars, right? So I used to buy and sell a lot of cars. And uh, like I knew a specific model that I wanted to buy. I would find a guy and I would offer him I would offer him something for it, right? But I, you know, there's there's a lot of different cars out there, and a lot of times when people are buying businesses, it's the same thing. They just want a business that meets a certain criteria. It's not necessarily your business that they want. It's it's that your business meets their criteria. So assume that they're going to continue to look for a business, and it might not be yours. All right, Ian. Point number three, and one of the mistakes that we made was that we didn't have clarity on timing uh, when we created the sale. In particular. We didn't put a deadline on at first when we first launched the sale, which I think was a little bit of a mistake. I think it's really important to lay out clear expectations and clear deadlines uh, when you're putting up a site for sale. Yeah, for sure. I think this was actually one of our, our biggest problems with the sale was that, uh, you know, so putting a putting a deadline on things creates a sense of urgency. We had a sense of urgency, Dan, because we wanted to move this so we can move on to other things, but we didn't convey that to the buyers as, as well as we should have done. So I think that there was a couple stages that we knew that we're going to go through. So we were going to um, we we're going to list the site with Empire Flippers, and then if that didn't go well, we were going to put the site on Flippa, and then if that didn't go well, I don't know, we were going to put it in the yard with a for sale sign on it, right? <laughs> but uh, you have to convince those kind those steps to the buyer so they understand the kind of pressure that they're that they're under. And also, you know, with this sense of urgency and timing, you also need to let other buyers know if there's other parties interested, which is, you know, in our case, there were several buyers interested. So that, that kind of helps to move things along too. All right. So this relates to this idea of creating a sense of momentum around every single point of the process of a sale. You know, you don't want to lose that energy. This relates to the fourth point, uh, which I was thinking about, which is that if we could do it all over again, I would have created a like a launch sequence that included a webinar that educated people about the opportunity. I think that that's, you know, an opportunity that we had on the table. I think, you know, we listed the site with a, with a hard price, right? And we figured that it was going to move for that based on the interest. But if we were really had some ambition here or we really needed to generate some momentum, say people don't have the audience baked in or whatever, or maybe they want to be ambitious and get a higher multiple. I think this is a great way to do it. Um, you know, you could create a reason why people would want to come to your webinar. That's an educational reason, right? Maybe they're not sure they want to buy the site, but they still want to learn maybe how you built the site. Um, you could have an application process where people could come to a private webinar. Maybe you're only talking to 25 people or something. And that also creates a sense of competition and timeliness, right? So you've got this sense of momentum, like this is a great opportunity. Here's what's happening. And, you know, next Friday, we're going we're gonna to review the offers. So point number five, we learned about the importance of demonstrating momentum in your business plan. So we needed to offer potential consumers a clear and confident vision of the future. Um, and we needed to do this by talking about numbers, like by sort of anticipating the types of experiences they could, you know, people, they're making a huge risk and they want to have an idea of what the next few years are going to look like. Um, so, you know, what are some of the ways that you did this? Yeah, I think, um, you know, one of the things that I learned, Dan, is um, you got to kind of give up the goods 
um, before you sell the business. So I think once you have somebody and they're interested in your um, business, and actually this is the second or this is point number six, but they've signed your NDAs, they've signed the non-competes, if that that's what you're going to do, you kind of have to give them the plan forward for the business. You have to give them the growth plan. So I thought about this a lot, and it's like, well, here, you know, here's what's on the table. This is the business for sale, and then if you buy it, I'll tell you how to make it great. Well, no. Just tell them how to make it great in the first place. Um, they've already signed a non-compete, and then they can kind of see the opportunity. And I think that worked really well in our case because there is a nice little growth plan for this business. So I think it makes sense to share people with that before they invest in it. Number seven, seal the deal and grease the handoff. Don't sweat the small stuff. This is something we we talked about in our Hustlers podcast that you know hustlers make everything easy, and I think it's important that in particular when you're talking about like a really big sale that you can have a lot of anxiety about, that you're not getting the big picture out of the mind for the small stuff. I mean, one of the things that's easy to do uh, with such a big sale is it's easy to, to, to get frustrated by little things um, and forget the perspective or forget the importance of it, in particular for the buyer, right? Because you have 15 different people asking you questions all day long, kicking your tires, and sometimes that can be frustrating and it's tough to keep that in mind like relative to the magnitude of what's happening for them as a consumer in particular. Yeah, I've got a, I've got a couple ideas on this. You know, um, first of all, I think uh, both parties have to stay loose and flexible in the deal and we're finding that right now. So we're in the transition phase right now and I think it's really helpful um, to not have anything hard and fast. I mean, I think it's important that you write a tight contract, but I think it's important that... Um, you know, that kind of goes on the shelf. And when you're in transition mode, you're both working together to make the transition as smooth as possible, because it's just not that easy. You know, there's a lot of working, moving parts that you have to deal with, you know, in this transition. The other thing, Dan, that I think is important in this handoff, and you know, this is actually a lesson that we learned in Bali. I don't know if you remember this, but uh, the first house that we rented in Bali, we like plopped down $20,000 for this house rental for a year. And the guy like took the money and I wouldn't say he ran, but he was like the least responsible responsive <laughs> that he could have been, right? He was like very responsive up to the point where we gave him the $20,000 and then he just kind of like dipped out and it was like, whatever. I think it's really important, you know, when you're making this sale that you support the buyer and the buyer just plumped down like a ton of money. Like who's the last person that's giving you 20, a hundred, a million dollars in the last year, right? This is a huge chunk of money that you have. And I think you have to respect that from the buyer standpoint and you have to support them. And the other thing, so I want to follow up on that point, which is a good one, is that we noticed that a lot of the people that are, say, super fans of the LBP were the people that were most interested in buying this business from us. And maybe if that timing apex would have worked out just a little bit differently, they would have been the consumers. And I remember thinking back to that landlord in Bali, thinking I would have invested in that house for maybe a five-year lease period in order to do a little local business there. And the reason I didn't was because of that, the way he treated me precisely. And that really resonated with me because I was thinking to myself, you're treating me like you're some kind of hotshot, but I gotta be, if you looked at your customer Rolodex, I voted with my wallet big time. And he forgot about that because he thought it was a one-time opportunity, but you ought to see it as a representation uh, of a broader form of trust and a potentially a long-term relationship. So uh, give it that uh, a shout out to Chris, man. Thank you for uh, purchasing one of our businesses and we wish you the best with it. Hopefully we can provide some updates in the future as to how that goes for you. Absolutely. Thanks, Chris. And Dan, you know, I'm looking back through this list. There's probably about a hundred other things that we could add to this. So maybe we'll do a part two when this is all over. Hey, it's episode 161. If you guys have any questions, head over to the podcast website and we'll answer you guys in the comments. Let's get moving on to just the tips. All right. Well, hey, it's uh, 
It's a hot tip today. Uh, <laughs> June 30th, your F-bar disclosures need to be into the is it uh, Detroit. Detroit office of the U.S. Treasury. That's if you are a U.S. citizen and have any uh, foreign bank accounts that you control or own that have over 10,000 US dollars in it. That's important. So if you have any questions about that, head over to greenbacktaxservices.com. All right, Ian, uh, we promised that you would be the DJ today. What do you got? Hey, if it works out and uh, and the listeners vote, maybe I get to do it next time too. That would be pretty cool. I got a couple other songs lined up. This is Cold Cave. That's called Alchemy and You. All right, rock on. We always appreciate your hipsterly delicious selections. We hope you guys will select the LBP next Thursday morning. Thanks for joining us. Booyah. Hey everybody, thanks for listening. Don't be shy, we've got a mailing list. Check it out at lifestylebusinesspodcast.com. Go there, get yourself signed up, and we'll keep you up to date on everything we do, plus give you immediate access to episode 1 through 100 of the LBP. It is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We'll see you next Thursday morning. Peace.